Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our series in Acts. And uh, your best days are yet to come. Uh, And those of you that are retired, I don't believe it. You are not done, right? Ain't done. That's your motto. Great to see you guys. Uh, Happy Mother's Day. Hello? (laughs) Uh, Some of you guys look surprised at that announcement. You gotta, you gotta, (laughs) you gotta do something here. Hey, this is something I wrote, uh, and I wrote it and and posted it, but, uh, and some people responded and said, oh, I loved your mom, I loved your mom, and, uh, but I wrote it in regards to all moms, not just uh, my mom who's in heaven, but it reads like this, thank you mom for all you do, all you forgive and overlook, for your patience, your enduring love, for believing in the best, thanks for going the distance, always hoping that we'd turn out okay. You are one of the strongest images of the nature of God we have on earth. And it's really true. Most of us think of in the Bible as the Father being the image of uh, God on earth. But, um, you know, you think of what a mother stands for, the symbols that come with a mother, uh, a provider, uh, not only the, all of the different things, provider, protector, that, that oftentimes are put in the camp of a, of a man or a male. But in this blurred society, you're, you're those plus nurture, plus patient lover, uh, and you think of uh, what you're handed when someone comes out of the womb, and you think, okay, uh, how's this going to go? And, uh, and they, they certainly don't appear as a 30-year-old responsible adult. <laughs> and oftentimes, uh, we men... We're expecting that, you know, of our six-year-old. Come on. And that's not the way a six-year-old behaves. But the mother is kind of like she knows and just kind of, this is the way a six-year-old behaves. And we're just going to work with them and work with them like a, a potter working with clay until they are 30. So thank you, moms, for all that you do to keep the world going. And uh, we, give, we applaud you. So uh, it was just a year and a half ago that uh, we were in Iraq, and uh, so we went back, uh, just got back a couple days ago. It's, uh, it was kind of a dicey time because elections were going on at the time, and elections don't seem like a tense time here, but uh, it, you know, in a volatile part of the world, elections are a big deal. Uh, but we, we went to Iraq uh, to try to finish telling the story of the persecuted church in Iraq and also persecuted minorities in Iraq. Iraq is largely a Shia Muslim nation. Uh, for those of us that are kind of ignorant about the whole Shia-Sunni tension, to give you a, just a, uh, without going in the history of what each brand of Islam is, uh, the Shia are a very small population in the greater one point 
1.1 billion people in the world that are Muslim. Uh, the largest country being Indonesia, which incidentally three churches were bombed today on Mother's Day uh, by uh, a family of bombers that went to three separate churches, both men, sons, and wife uh, went in with bombs uh, to attack Christians. So uh, we pray for them uh, that uh, the church in Indonesia would stand but uh, the, the, the difference I won't go into, but most of the world is Sunni, uh, and a small portion is Shia, ruled by Iran, the Ayatollah, and that would include Iran, Iraq, and because of Assad in Syria, who's Shia, and then the Hezbollah in Lebanon, so that swath of land from Iran over to the Mediterranean, and the rest is largely Sunni, except for pockets that are fighting in Yemen and other Gulf states. So we went over to to tell the story of uh, the Christians that have tried to live there. The Christians were at one time the largest population in the land we call Iraq right now. It was the Chaldean Assyrian church that was birthed out of the church in Antioch that we read about in the book of Acts. The church in Antioch was started in 38 AD. Hello, were you around? <laughs> uh, you know, oftentimes in America, we have, we have no sense of history. We behave as if we invented Jesus. Uh, we, we, we hear an old song or we see an old building. We say, ah, oh, I don't do that. I, I, do, this, I do this thing. And uh, we have this kind of cavalier cowboy approach to Jesus, uh, which has not been historically the case. The church has always counted. In fact, the doctrine of the church has always been an important doctrine, uh, holding the bride of Christ very high, not just the doctrine of the Trinity, not just the doctrine of Christ, but who is the church and how important is the church? So in that part of the world, the church is very important, but it's been shrinking and shrinking. The church in Iraq has been shrinking all throughout the the last century. And by the way, that's true of the entire Middle East. Uh, Christians used to be a dominant population in the West Bank, Palestine, and now they've largely disappeared. Probably three million Christians have left Lebanon uh, in my lifetime, and they live in other parts of the world. And that's happened in Iraq as well. If you wonder where Iraq was invented, The British invented Iraq. Uh, The British were there largely colonizing all of that part of the world, Iran, uh, uh, Syria, and uh, and then when they pulled out, uh, they created boundaries. And the boundaries are always the problem because uh, they don't fit the people groups. For example, the Kurds uh, who live in the northern Iraq, uh, they... The greatest population is in eastern Turkey, but they're also in Iran and in Syria, and they have no country. Uh, They're just in four different countries. So we went to find out what has happened. Mosul, you can see on the map here, Mosul was the city that uh, ISIS came from Syria over to Mosul. The reason they chose Mosul was Mosul is uniquely a Sunni city in a Shia country. And when ISIS, who is Sunni, 
came across the desert, 250 miles, uh, killing, pillaging, raping uh, people along the way. There was nothing to stop them, including America, as America had a new policy that we're not involved in the Middle East. So uh, they, they came uh, to Mosul and um, they set up shop. And at first, all the Sunnis cheered to have ISIS there until they found out the policy of ISIS. And, uh, and then they cowered. But the sad thing is uh, ISIS offered rewards for people to tell on their neighbors uh, who were either Christian, Shia, or Yazidi minorities. And uh, many of the neighbors took the money. And you can imagine your neighbor turning you in uh, after you've had 30 barbecues a year with them. And now uh, you're turned into ISIS uh, by your neighbor. So the thought of going back to Mosul is not a happy thought for Christians. North of Mosul is the plain of Nineveh. You're in, Mosul is ancient Nineveh. That's, that's the name of the city. But the plain of Nineveh is largely where Christians have lived. And they were hoping, as soon as ISIS left, that they would be allowed to go back to their villages in the plain of Nineveh. But something happened this last year. In this last fall, as Mosul fell, the Kurds passed a rev- referendum. On the map, uh, you, the blue is the Kurdish area of northern Iraq. They pra- passed a referendum saying, we want to finally be independent. Enough of this trying to be with Iraq. It's not working. We want to be independent. And Iraq, who used to have a very weak army, now armed by us and also armed largely by Iran. Iraq has become a puppet of Iran. Um, They responded with Shia militia and took all of the land that ISIS had. And now there's a new front lines between Kurds and Shia and Iraqi troops. Um, And the bottom line is Christians still cannot go home to their villages and probably maybe never Iraq is not going to give up that land Christians were hoping that there would be a a swath of land that would be a protected land that was their theory that it would be kind of a Switzerland where they could just live there in peace but now they realize they they can't go back Uh, used to be when before we invaded Iraq in 2002 there are 1.5 million Christians in Iraq, and now uh, there are only 200, less than 250,000 left. And if you say, well, what happened to them? Well, some of them were killed, uh, but mostly they immigrated to America, to Europe, or to Australia. And there's two kinds of genocide. One is uh, killing off of people and the other is eliminating a people in the land. The, the Christians were the people of the land. The Chaldeans, the Assyrians that attacked Israel back in 600 AD, BC, those people became Christians the first century. They are the original native Iraqis. 
and they are almost gone now. And we care about uh, animals when they become an endangered species, but we don't seem often to care about humans when they become an endangered species. So it's, it's, it's a sad story. Uh, we went over there to find out a, a good story. We were hoping to find out that they were moving back to Mosul, but we were going to interview people in front of their cathedrals or broken churches and tell us what you're going to do, but we found out that we couldn't even go into Mosul because it wasn't safe. There's probably a thousand uh, uh, ISIS members that have shaved their beards but are still hanging out in Mosul, and... Um, and there's not enough sheriffs, police in the town to keep order, so it wasn't safe. We weren't allowed to go in there. So I'll tell you briefly what the trip was all about. Um, the first miracle that happened on our flight from Istanbul to Erbil, here's Erbil, which is probably the wealthiest in uh, uh, the capital of Kurdistan in the blue. Kurdistan not being a separate country, but a a territory of Iraq, Um, we met a man. He was sitting right next to Joel Parker, who's the director of the film, and uh, Joel wakes me up to say, hey, Mark, meet this guy. And uh, so his name was Professor Dr. Bayar, and uh, he happens to be the chair of the historical social uh, department studying uh, minorities in no- northern Iraq. So he, he is the specialist on what we wanted to ask. And he happened to be sitting right next to us on the plane returning from Harvard and Georgetown giving lectures. So he's in the movie. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is my life. I'm Mr. Magoo. <laughs> I just go through and, and things happened, you know. So, um, but he wasn't a very hopeful man. He says, I'm not, he says, my mother was Muslim, my dad was Christian, or I think it's the reverse, and my uncle was Yazidi, but I'm neutral. I don't even know if God exists. Uh, But he says, my neutrality helps me do my research. I don't have a horse in the race. I'm just trying to tell the story. I said, well, tell me the story. What are the chances for the minorities in Iraq, and he says, it's bleak. He says, there's some that won't exist in less than 10 years. And, and, uh, and there's many that won't exist for the, in the next 50 years. They'll just be absorbed into the rest of the Western world, kind of disappear. Their cultures will disappear. And so that was a very sad interview, you know, and he just says, I'm just giving you the data. If you extrapolate the line of everything that's going on, that is what's going to happen. Now, if you, you know, I mean, we don't have a great track record uh, here with Native Americans, Indians, uh, always trying to do better. But if someone said they're about to disappear, uh, you know, we would be saying something in African-American community or Armenian community. Uh, if, if someone said that they're, they're about to disappear, we'd all be having this discussion. What do we do? We've got to do something. Uh, and we under, understand the racism of our country has been a big, big subject, and it needs to be. So, but, but it's not happening there. Nobody's discussing this. 
So uh, that's Professor Bayard, a fun, uh, eccentric man. Now let me uh, move quickly here, uh, otherwise we're going to get bogged down. Um, So we revisited Roni and Danny, and those of you that saw the film, uh, you will remember them. We went to their house and we visited them. What's fun about these guys is they take different political views. One's an optimist, one's a pessimist. And uh, if you saw the film, you'll know we ate with them and had a fabulous meal, and here I am discussing with them. Also, we revisited Pastor Kassam. He's uh, probably the closest pastor to our church here. He is someone that tried to escape Iraq, and he got trapped in, in, in uh, France. They wouldn't let him go. No, excuse me, not France. He, it was in Lebanon, and uh, finally had to come back to Iraq, and felt like this is where God wants him. And so he is a lifer in Iraq, and he's a hopeful man of the future of the church in Iraq, but he doesn't see the hope in maintaining the Assyrian-Chaldean history he th- thinks the hope is the Sunnis and Shia who are converting, the Kurdish that are converting, the Yazidi who are converting, and the Chaldean Assyrian people all merging together to, to create a new church. And that's what he's doing in Iraq. But to move on, uh, we met a gal named Rita. This was the second miracle. The first was meeting uh, the man on the airplane. This is Rita four weeks ago. Four weeks ago, she was released from ISIS. And this is her dad, who had been released from ISIS very early on and been in a uh, shelter for three years Uh, having lost their home. And here they are four weeks ago being reunited. Well, we wanted to meet with an organization called SLOMO, easy for me to say, which means peace and uh, in Aramaic, which is the language Jesus spoke. And that's what the Assyrians speak today on the streets. Um, SLOMO keeps detailed records of who's missing whether they've fled the country, whether they're missing in action, whether they're uh, captive of, of ISIS still. And these records we're trying to gather as evidence uh, with a, a, a legal uh, outfit that's related to friends of our church here uh, that are trying to prosecute members of ISIS. And these captives know the names of their captors. And uh, a lot of them have shaved their beards and gone underground. And the, the UN has agreed to prosecute ISIS for war crimes. And, it, and it's, yeah. So, um, and Jacqueline Isaac, who attends here, is, is also an attorney. And she, uh, Arab Christian uh, uh, Egyptian American uh, t- attorney is kind of leading the charge on that, and there, here she is in the striped dress. The gentleman to the left is the uh, the director of Shlomo, and also has been a member of Parliament in Baghdad. They're, the Christians give five seats out of three hundred and twenty; uh, they get five seats in in Baghdad. 
But this girl, Rita, was held captive by ISIS for four years. Uh, two of her uh, sex slave owners were uh, Syrian. Two of them were Saudi Arabian. And as you know, ISIS is an ideology made up of uh, people from all over the world, including Russians, uh, Europeans, Americans, uh, that all came there following this Islamic ideology. So as I interviewed her there in this uh, building that's being rebuilt uh, for Christian uh, social work, we wanted to film it there because that was a picture of, of rebuilding her life. And it's just such an amazing story. But she's She's one of thousands and thousands of minorities that uh, have been abused by ISIS. So uh, we're really thankful for God releasing her. But the third miracle was not just meeting Rita, uh, because when we wanted to meet with Shlomo, they said, would you like to actually meet a recent uh, person that's set free? Uh, I was in a Yazidi IDP camp, internally displaced people, there's 720,000 of them in Iraq that live in camps uh, and probably will die in those camps. There's no place to go, there, there's no economy to turn things around and they just live there, not going to work, supported by European, mostly European money that supports them. Well, this girl came up to me at this, in this camp and they said, would you like to meet someone who works clandestine to release Yazidi and Christian captives? And I said, oh yeah. I said, does he have like a big beard and disguise himself like ISIS? And she said, I said no, he, uh, he looks like a businessman, but he works over the phone and makes these deals and arrangements directly with ISIS. Uh, He finds out where they are, and and I said, oh, yeah. So we set up a clandestine meeting in a hotel room where we filmed this guy who is, uh, he's one of six people that work uh, to, to free captives, and he has personally freed 80 people And uh, after we did the interview, I said, you don't happen to know, uh, I said, how many Christians have you released? And he says, two out of 80. And I said, "Um, do you remember a girl named Rita? And he looked at me, he says, Rita, Rita. And he scrolls through his phone and he says, does she look like this? And it was Rita. So he's the guy that worked to get her free, which is just amazing, the story, because there's, there's all these details. They have some computer abilities that he can't tell me of how they find out uh, where they are and what they do, and, uh, and then there's usually a phone that uh, someone has or a phone that's dropped off. They phone home. Uh, once they find out where the phone came from, Uh, they're able to finally watch the house and see uh, where the ISIS members are. And they make contact with the ISIS people, offering them. And I know countries are uh, debating this all the time of what to do with terrorists, but they 
they're not a, a nation. They're just a separate organization that uh, offers the people money to rescue these people. So someone like Rita goes for $2,000. Um, a younger person goes for 1000 and kids go for a few hundred dollars. These members of ISIS that are just trying to uh, cash out as they bail on their ideology. Um, we went to the front lines twice again. Uh, one over by, a Syri- by Syria, not Assyria, but Syria border, uh, which is where the Yazidis were destroyed, just north of Sinjar and Sinjar Mountain. Uh, and as you can see, there's a front line now. And this is the Kurds guarding against Iraq. On the other side, you can look over a few hundred yards away, and there's a trench, and there's Iraqi troops lined up against the Kurds, uh, threatening to come into Kurdistan. And, uh, and then we went to another part uh, to see a bombed-out Christian village that was destroyed by ISIS, and then the bombing destroying ISIS, and this is a typical house there. Uh, and we met you, Dave Eubanks. Some of you remember he came and spoke here. Um, can you guys see better if I do this? Your front road is tough, you know. You're in the spit zone of a preacher, you know. So, um, Dave Eubanks was is a former U.S. Uh, special ops force guy who, after he got out of the service, started a philanthropic organization to work alongside wars, um, treating people medically. And so some of you saw the movie, I forget, what was the movie? Um, someone's going to shout it out. Uh, down in, in uh, Southeast Asia, this guy that didn't want to fight, but he would pull people back from... Hacksaw, Hacksaw Ridge, thank you. So he's kind of a Hacksaw Ridge guy that pulls people back uh, but he's a, not quite a pacifist as Hacksaw Ridge. So when sometimes uh, when he sees that people are going to harm other people, then he picks up a gun of a dead man and he just becomes Rambo and then uh, <laughs> rescues people. But uh, Dave, it was interesting talking to Dave this time because he was a different man. At one point in the interview, he broke down crying because of all the land the Kurds lost. They, they fought, they gave all this blood to free Mosul and to free the Christian land, uh, the Nineveh Plain, and now it's not there. It, the, the Shia militia now own it. And so it really broke his heart that uh, it all feels uh, for naught. And then we met a monk in a monastery uh, Here's a monk of, of the Assyrian uh, Orthodox Church, and he was just an interesting guy to interview and uh, film. Um, he's so blessed by you guys. They just can't believe that anybody finally knows about their plight, that anybody in America cares. So uh, he, he's encouraged by that. This is perhaps the most encouraging man on the trip uh, Dr. Nazar, he is an MD, psychiatrist, PhD, um, and he is the director of health for, Department of Health for 
Kurdistan, and and he heard the the uh, pessimistic perspective of Dr. Bayar, a friend of his, and he he laughed and he says, "I know he thinks that's science, but he says I also have science." Um, he says, I'm a scientist as well, and we've been here for hundreds and thousands of years, and we're going to still be here. We have, a track record of, we have a track record of genocide, and we're still here, and that's my evidence. And he says, but the difference now is we're inviting the minorities to come and live within Kurdistan. They can't go back to their land, but to live within Kurdistan, and uh, that we will be an open society that uh, welcomes them. And he gave case studies of him growing up with Christians uh, that now have fled and live in Australia, America, and Europe, and, and, but many of them still have land there. And he says um, they're hoping that these communities will grow up together in harmony. But they do pray that America will uh, ally itself a little more with Kurdistan. Um, as you know, we've been bolstering the Baghdad uh, regime because that's what we conquered and with, against Saddam. And, and, uh, but the problem is Iran still controls uh, Iraq. And uh, Kurdistan is, is much more of an independent country. Uh, they love America. They love Israel. They love democracy. And they just don't know why um, America doesn't... <laughs> They were the first ones to defeat, uh, to fight against ISIS, and uh, they they want to be that country that aligns itself with us. So um, much to talk about, much to think about. I'm going to just let them scroll through some pictures. This is me uh, meeting with uh, General Karzan. He's the chief general of the Kurdish army, one of the most humble men I've ever met. Uh, here we are eating traditionally uh, Kurdish style on the floor. Um, great way to do Mother's Day, by the way, gals. Uh, you know, when, you, when you're done, you just roll up the tablecloth, vacuum, and you're done. Uh, this was an ironic picture. Uh, here are some very elegant, expensive dresses in the window. Below it was a beggar, and I'm in a Brazilian coffee shop getting my curtado. And I see this moment happen. Here you can see the coffee beans. And I take the picture of this beggar woman receiving some money right below these elegant dresses. Uh, a Kurdish style dressed. Uh, most men don't dress that way anymore, but the older men do uh, in their traditional outfits. Keep going. Uh, Jackie interviewing some Yazidis in a camp, the trip, typical bread. Uh, two people here, young boy that we interviewed last time, uh, widow that we interviewed that uh, both released from ISIS. You can see they're much happier now than they were when we filmed them. Yazidi girls that are all in the Tech Over Trauma program. They're learning to overcome their, their uh, trauma as well as learning English. And as you can see, they're thriving, they're happy. Uh, they want to come to Germany or America uh, to study in college. Young boy. And these camps, as I said, there's over 700,000 people that live in these camps around. That's just within Iraq. 
traditional uh, Kurdish family. Uh, this is an interesting picture. Here's two Yazidi girls who are in the camp. Uh, here are four Christian uh, young people. You can see how happy they are. Uh, very conservative dress, but uh, very colorful. But this was an interesting picture. Jackie's sitting with a Kurdish Muslim whose best friend is a Kurdish Christian. Uh, and it's just the way life should be, right? And uh, here's the hope and the future of Iraq right there. So let's take a moment to pray uh, for them. Father, we do pray. These are our cousins, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And you tell us when one member suffers, we all suffer. And God, just as we try to rally around brothers and sisters who suffer in our country here, we want to rally in, in, in this global society around brothers and sisters who hurt. We pray for the churches in Indonesia that were bombed today. Uh, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Iraq. And we ask you, God, we know that you said in this world we would have tribulation. But God, we, we bond together. And we ask you, God, that you would encourage and strengthen the church to not only survive, but to thrive in Iraq. We ask you, God, for the advancement of the gospel in Iraq. We ask you to strengthen the Syrian and the Chaldean churches there and the Syriac Catholic church, but we also pray for the fledgling evangelical church there in northern Iraq. And we ask you, God, uh, for a miracle, that you would roll up the sleeve of your right hand and, and you would flex for your people there and God, for the, the situation that still uh, is so prevailing in the Middle East, we, God, would pray that uh, the church, there would be a new day for your church, the homeland, the beginning of the church, that the church there would thrive again. Strengthen our partners there that, that we've invested in and we ask you, God, for a new day. And now speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the staff was kind of worried uh, to me today. They're saying, how are you going to combine Mother's Day, Iraq, and the book of Acts? And I said, watch me. So uh, I, want to <laughs> I want to now have you in the closing moments we have, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, and I want you to see uh, the model of the modern church that you and I hope for, and it's found in Antioch. Starting in verse 18 of chapter 11, we read, when they heard this, they had no further objections and 
praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And I thought that Ryan Fiverr did an excellent job of showing how God sometimes has to speak to us through a vision to break our molds. Uh, most of us, we're, we inevitably think that all people should be like me, that all people should look like me, and somehow we're not surprised when God loves us, right? If I were God, I would love me too. <laughs> but we're surprised when God loves somebody else, either of a different color, a different ethnicity, a different background. How could they ever become a Christian? I understand how I became a Christian. And the sad thing is that vibrancy that, that you started with, where you were amazed at the undeserved love and favor of God that he would love you, begins to disappear and now we become judgmental, we become rigid, we have the hardening of the categories that everyone should be just like me. And when that happens, a person begins to die. They may be physically living, but internally they are dying. And when a church happens that way, the church begins to die. Because the only way a church thrives is to give herself away. Grace! Think of it. Uh, if you have a river that's flowing downstream and you begin to dam the stream up and you don't have an outflow of that lake or dammed up water, uh, that, that water will eventually become stagnant. You have to have an inflow and you have to have an outflow. And you and I are, are designed that way. And corporately, the church is designed that way. And Antioch becomes this thing. So the radical thing that happened is that Peter saw that God loved Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean much to you because most of us here are Gentiles. We have many, many Messianic Jews within our church. Uh, but most of us here are Gentiles. I didn't know what a Gentile was when I became a Christian. Uh, but now I know that I'm a mutt. Uh, you know, I, I was hoping when I did my 23 and what is it called? 23 and me or something like that. I was hoping for something exotic. I was wanting a little bit of African-American in me, a little bit of Jewish, a little bit of, of Native American. So I can just kind of, and you know, I'm North, Northwestern European with a tad of Finnish And a tad of Spanish in me. But the rest, you know, it's nothing exotic. So when the Jews got the gospel, as I'll show you, the Jews went to the Jews to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Check it out in verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, a tragic thing that happened, a martyrdom that actually started a revival, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, that's Lebanon, Cyprus, the island, Antioch, uh, Syria, northern Lebanon, on the edge of Turkey, spreading the word, notice, only among Jews. Birds of a feather, feather flock together. Why can't everyone be like me? So I'll take the gospel to everybody who's just like me. But some of them, verse 20, however, don't you love the howevers of the Bible? 
You can just translate it, but. I love the buts of the Bible. Don't quote me on that one. (laughs) Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and they began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Gentiles, so Jews on the island of Cyprus going to Antioch not to speak to Jews but to Gentiles about the good news. And that's the DNA. That's the DNA we have to keep. Good news, good news, good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't like it when Christians tell bad news. I, you know, there's, there's some news that is, is to be kept within the family here. Uh, yes, there is a judgment day coming. Yes, there is a hell. But when people share Jesus Christ and they lead with hell, uh, do you want to escape hell? That is not a way. I don't know if you're in the sales business, but that is not a way to lead with Jesus Christ. What's the good news? You know Armageddon's coming. What's the good news? Don't take the mark of 666. What's the good news of Jesus Christ? The good news is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Doesn't your heart still beat when you hear John 3.16? So we teach and we share the good news. And if you don't know the good news of your story, you need to practice it, learn it. And you've heard me tell many, many times my story. I was an idiot Jesus saved me, and now I'm not so much an idiot. (laughs) Learn in a very brief amount of time to tell the good news of what Jesus has done for you. He forgives you. He loves you. You have eternal life with him. You have a family that loves you so much. He's filled you with his Holy Spirit. So they have the good news, and the Lord's hand was with them in a great number. So revival happens. And scholars date this at 43 AD, but... The Antioch church dates their beginning at 37 to 38 A.D. Hello? That is amazing. So we come to verse 22. And by the way, uh, if you go back, I skipped over one thing I wanted to to point out to you. Um, uh, No, we're running out of time. Keep moving. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, so they sent down Barnabas. Barnabas is such a key player in the book of Acts. I like him because he's a businessman. And most of us think, well, I can't do ministry because I I didn't go to seminary or Bible school. He's a businessman, but he happens to have, his name is Joseph, but he has the nickname Barnabas, which means encourager. Don't you love to be around encouragers? There's a few people in my life that say, Mark, you're awesome. I say, could we meet again? <laughs> they text me and they say, you're awesome. You're, you're serving the Lord. And I say, oh, I love those texts. Uh, there's not, when are you going to do? You never, you're always an idiot. But they're, 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 saying, they're saying, you're awesome. This is, this is Barnabas. And so they send Barnabas to Antioch, and when he arrived, he saw the grace, the undeserved love for the Gentiles, and he was glad and encouraged everybody to remain true in the Lord with all their hearts. 
And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And great numbers of people were brought to the Lord. But Barnabas is a humble man. So watch what he does. He's the head honcho of this huge burgeoning church that probably was in the hundreds or maybe even the thousands. And he says, you know, I don't want this all alone. I don't want my name in lights. I want to share this. Business people are people who match needs with resources. And he says, ah, this is a huge need. I know a guy named Saul of Tarsus. And he goes up. Let's show the map again. So this is where the people came from Cyprus up to Antioch. But as you can see, to the left and and, uh, higher than Antioch is Tarsus, southeastern Turkey. And this is where Paul, Saul, was from. And so he goes up and gets Paul up there. And he says, hey, I need your help. He's a trained biblical scholar who's Pharisee turned Christian. And, uh, and he makes Paul one of the premier pastors of the Antioch church. And Paul moves down. He's been up there for seven years just studying the Bible. Preparing for this moment. You know, this is something we need to learn. When you're in a, in a break, in a pause in your life, and you don't know where you're going to go or what you're going to do, do something. Uh, go back to school. Pretend you're doing what you want to do. Practice what you, you think you're called to do. Preparing for what you want to do. Don't just sit around. Uh, I remember when I graduated from college, I thought, well... I'd studied Greek, I was a sociology, double major, sociology, and Bible uh, major, Uh, but no one wanted to hear what I had to say. I was too young. I was 21. So I got a a job in a a bookstore for a buck 65 an hour, and um, I know, that was back in 1833. (laughs) And, uh, And Jan can tell you, I would come home. Uh, she, was, uh, she was going to school, finishing up, and uh, I would come home and do Bible studies. And I would practice giving Bible studies to people who didn't want to, imaginary people. And, um, and then when I went to work, sometimes I had to haul books in boxes down to the post office and stand in line. Uh, to give them, get them stamped and weighed and everything else. And then, so I would practice preaching uh, to the people in line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? So I, you know, and so I would just stand there with boxes in my hand and they say, hey, how you doing? My name's Mark, what's yours? And this, this, this. Uh, and they said, what do you do? And I said, well, I work at a bookstore, but someday I'm gonna be a pastor and... Um, Really? Okay. And I said, you mind if I practice on you? (laughs) And what could they say? So, and I just begin to witness to him. You know, God loves you. Jesus died for you. And um, and they're they're a captive audience waiting. If they get out of line, they can, you know, and, but I would, I wouldn't, by the way, never be preachy. I I don't like preachers. I don't know. You know, the people that look down at you with the long fingers. Uh, But be playful and friendly. And um, and so, but I knew someday that God, you know, might take a chance on me. 
So Saul is up there practicing in Tarsus, and, and Barnabas comes and gets him. And uh, there's many things about Barnabas I would love to tell you, but it, it says here at the end of this passage, uh, in, at the end of verse 26, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Great, great name that you and I are called, Christ-like, or those who belong to Jesus. And we don't know what it was. It was a negative pejorative term or was a positive, but nevertheless, it was the first time uh, this word was ever used about 10 years after Jesus' resurrection. And so Barnabas and Paul become of a, a part of a teaching, preaching team, kind of like we have now. Uh, different people that present the word of God and be, becomes a stronger and stronger church. And then finally, there's the day that uh, they begin to send people out. Uh, I want to read to you. I'm going to jump down actually to a different chapter in verse 2. It says, while they were worshiping, Lord the Lord in fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. After they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, just like we did with our Fiji team, and they sent them off. And um, this church becomes the model church. This church is intercultural, interracial. By the way, in uh, Antioch, it was, a, it was a city of a half a million people. There were people who lived in Antioch from China. We know this historically uh, and archaeology-wise from China, India, Persia, uh, and northern Africa. Uh, and, and all of these people are becoming Christians, and then they become this sending church. So there's so many things about this church I like. It was the fact that it was group leadership rather than just solo leadership, the fact that it was intercultural, and the fact that it was sending rather than just hoarding. Sometimes we can be hoarders. Uh, if you ask yourself, am I a hoarder or am I a giver? A hoarder just says, I just want to be blessed till I get to heaven. God, can you just... One more day, bless me. Amen. But a giver says, you know, I'm here on this planet for a reason. Of course I want to be, I don't, anybody want to be sick here? I want to be blessed. Anyone want to be poor here? I want to be blessed. Anyone don't want any friends? I want to be blessed. But blessed for what? Blessed to give, share it with others. And that's what that church is. If you look at the final map here, what you'll see in this map is we know that Paul from Antioch had three missionary journeys that caused him to be, end up in Rome but uh, as a prisoner, but he had three missionary journeys uh, westward taking the gospel, and his goal was to get it all the way to Spain and being 1% Spanish, now that's important to me. <laughs> but what we don't have in the book of Acts is that the church also went eastward. And it birthed the church in Iraq. Isn't that pretty cool? The church we're talking about today, this minority, that church birthed the church in Nineveh. Amazing. And I want to grow up and be like them. 
So this idea of giving ourselves away. So here's where I bring this to a close. We are wanting to be that as a church, a missional church, giving ourselves away. We give ourselves away to other churches. We give ourselves away to the communities around us uh, through Unite, business, mayors, and, and uh, education leaders to say, what can we do, common ground, so that they'll know the fingerprints and the flavor of Jesus. But then we give ourselves away uh, worldwide. But it's important for all of us to be that individually as well, to be someone who's giving ourselves away. One of the things that this church does, I didn't read it in the passage, but it's there, is they find out that the church in Jerusalem is hurting. That old fuddy-duddy church in Jerusalem that just only ministers to Jews, that old fuddy-duddy church that isn't as big and vibrant as us, you know what they do? They take up an offering, and Paul and Barnabas take the offering back to them and say, you know what, you're not old fuddy-duddy. You're important. We love you. And uh, kind of like we're doing with the church in Iraq. They're much older than us. They're this ancient, ancient church, but we're trying to reach out and love them. And you and I can do that. And you know where I learned it from? I learned it from my mother. <laughs> Mothers do it. Mothers give themselves away. And they thrive when their babies thrive. They just give, and they just give, and they just give. Um, this culture is teaching us the way you thrive is to get, get, keep, keep, own, own. And it, it isn't a happy life. The way we thrive is to figure out who we can give ourselves and give Jesus away to. And I know you absolutely believe that. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness and goodness to us, for your good hand upon our lives individually and upon this church. God, I pray a blessing on the mothers here today. I pray, God, that you would be with them, that, that this day, not only this day, but uh, their lives would be touched by you and that you put your good hand upon their children. And then, God, we pray for your good hand to be upon this church, that we would not get stuck in the blessing, but that we would give the blessing away, that we would live with open hands, that whatever you place in our hands is there to share with somebody else, and that we would especially be good at sharing the truth and love of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name, and everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.